Welcome to Packet Pushes Heavy Networking, the podcast that gets serious about data networking. Now, networking has always been about bandwidth, and we have a, a not very funny joke around here that bandwidth solves all networking problems. Ha, 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 ha. And a key factor in building the bandwidth thing is long-haul bandwidth. What we used to call WAN bandwidth has been stepping up from you know 10 gigs to 50 gigs, 100 gigs, and now 400 gigs, and 800 gig is on the horizon. This means that service providers can get more bandwidth out of their dark fiber, out of the cable that they're lighting up with DWGM or dense wave division multiplexing. And that bandwidth floats all network boats. The more bandwidth you have, the less problems that you have in terms of the network. But there are other areas to explore for excellence. There is also movement to reduce the on-premise equipment needed at the DWDM coherent optical edge, which removes the transponders and shelves at the edge of the network. And because everything needs an, an acronym, sometimes this is known as IP over DWDM or IPO DWDM. And now this whole idea is that the optical edge, which used to be like optical switches and then optical edge, which did the ethernet to optical. And we're now seeing with the coherent optical uh, modules that we're going to be talking about today, the optical network now begins inside your Juniper router. Now, it doesn't often happen that all the necessary factors come together to make that happen. Usually these things take years to come out to play. But right now, 400 gig coherent optics is a hot technology and it's absolutely underlying this transition. In today's sponsored show with Juniper Networks, we have Dwayne McIntosh, who is the Director of Product Marketing, and Moran Roth, who is also a Director of Product Management. So let's get straight into the discussion with Dwayne. Dwayne, let's just kick off a little bit about what is IP over DWDM, and then we can transition into 400 coherent optics. Okay. In principle, IP over DWDM is, is straightforward. It's using coherent DWDM pluggable optics and IP routers and switches uh, so operators can directly interconnect ports to DWDM line systems that already exist. So ideally, IP and optical convergence should deliver a long list of benefits, you know, allowing operators to tap into a 400 gig, gigabit Ethernet capacity and beyond for a lot of applications, whether that's in, in the edge, the core, data center interconnect and metro type applications, and, and then eliminating the need for these external transponder uh, uh, infrastructure that you talked about earlier, where mm -hmm. ethernet and, and optical traditionally had met. Um, so that, so that changes for most organizations who are getting bandwidth. So let's say you're buying bandwidth from a service provider. Today, they might be buying a shelf. The, the telco comes out and installs a shelf, and then they run a fiber optic cable into that, and then they present you with an Ethernet cable. Uh, sometimes it's copper, sometimes it's optical, depending on what you're asking for. And they say, da-da, here's your 100 gig tail, or here's your 10 gig circuit, right? And that edge, that's the optical edge. And that was always expensive and difficult and and just all around, you know, required a truck roll, and it was annoying. And we don't we have it, but we never really wanted that. Right. There's two possibilities, right? They're, they're with these coherent optics, the transceiver fits into the router portfolio. So um, you can have directly connected routers uh, just with dark fiber in between of them, uh, between them. And the transceivers allow you to have connectivity for much longer reaches for a number of different applications. Or um, you still uh, need amplification from an optical line system, but you can get rid of this very expensive uh, power consuming transponder that's mm. in between in that interface. So no longer do you need to have a separate 
box, a separate external transponder uh, in the infrastructure. And that, you know, helps us do a lot of things that, that helps give you multi-layer visibility of the optical transport network. So you can do things like fast reroute on the fly, or you can um, uh, determine, you know, and engineer the optical connections right there in the router itself. You find it reminds me of the router switch argument from years gone by where we used to, uh, you literally have a router on a stick on top of a switch and then the router was built into the switch or the switch was built into the router. You can argue it both ways. Conceptually, not the same, but similar? Sure, absolutely. Uh, so we were just because of the advances that have occurred in, in the routing portfolios and switching portfolios that support 400 gig, now you've got the capability because of the, the power efficiencies, the, uh, their ability to uh, dissipate heat, and because of a, a number of things like uh, just the compact form factor coherent optics now, we mm. can put that on line cards, uh, we can handle the heat dissipation, the power requirements for those coherent optics, and uh, away you go. So it, it really simplifies your network infrastructure, and it gives you the ability to converge so that you're using the service layer as your protection scheme, you know, rather than going with uh, an optical protection scheme, which typically is one-to-one -one and uses up a lot of lambdas. Okay, we might talk about that idea of optical redundancy versus IP redundancy a bit more in a minute. But what I wanted to focus on was the idea of a coherent optical module. So as best as I can understand, this is kind of like what we think of as an SFP or a, an optical interface that we slot home into the router. There's a version of this which is actually conceptually DWDM ready. Am I on the right track? Exactly. Uh, if you look at the interconnecting routers or switches, there are at a high level three different technologies that you can use. You can use cables for short reach, a few meters or tens of meters. There are direct detect transceivers, optical transceivers that can get to a few kilometers, maybe up to 10 kilometers typically. Mm -hmm. And then there are coherent transceivers that modulate the data on the phase, not on the amplitude. And then these can get uh, much more than a few tens of kilometers, sometimes even thousands of kilometers. All right. So we're not just talking about a particular thing. This isn't like, you know, 10 gig LR or 10 gig SX or something like that. This is much more like mystical magic where the lasers are actually able to generate a signal that can throw down an optical fiber for extremely long distances. I think usually it's like 70 kilometers, 80 kilometers. But as you say, um, with repeaters in the cable along the way, it can literally go for thousands of kilometers. Exactly. When you typically look at an SFP or a QSFP, you see SR or LR. These are short reach or long reach uh, direct detect amplitude modu modulated transceivers. These, right. these are even the LR, the long reach is typically up to 10 kilometers. Mm -hmm. uh, with coherent technology, it's the same form factor today. In the same form factor of a QSFP DD, you can fit coherent technology. Typically, without amplification, it will get 
40 to 80 kilometers, maybe up to 120 kilometers. But with amplification, uh, inline amplification, it can get to thousands of kilometers. Thousands right. of kilometers with amplification, and you, you still got the same packaging. Does that mean that package has got to deal with heat dissipation? Is there more heat that's generated? Absolutely. And this is really one of the main technolo technological uh, ad advancement that we had in the last 20 years, right? Uh, we started talking about IP over DWDM more than 20 years ago. One of the big changes that happened is this power reduction uh, in this in the silicon technology and advancement in the laser and optical subassembly that allows this uh, coherent technology to be packaged into the same form factor as client optics that we talked about SRLR hmm. and fit into the power envelope that is uh, in, uh, associated with that uh, form factor. And the heating, because the other aspect here is that cooling those SFPs can be a major problem. One of the reasons that you have transponder shelves sometimes is just to be able to cool the, the optical modules. Yes. Um, so uh, coherent optics uh, today uh, with this 400 gig ZR, ZR plus, uh, fit this more or less the same uh, power envelope. And when we say power envelope, it, it's both power consumption and mm -hmm. the ability to cool this uh, power or power dissipation uh, right. in the systems. Well, and there's a few things in there because, uh, you know, you're talking something like uh, several watts of power and in a, you put these into a line card inside of a Juniper router, right? And it's not, a, it's a, it's a, it's a specific line card because the, the data feed into these coherent opticals modules, it has to be different. Like you don't have just traditional SIRDESs or, you know, interface modules, anything like that. It is a particular line card that goes into the router to feed these coherent optics, right? So that's really uh, the change that happened in the last few years. With this advancement in technology and reduction of power consumption, um, we can fit today this coherent transceivers and direct detect transceivers, tr standard transceivers on the same line card. Um, previous attempts to do IP over DWDM, even going back 10 years, mm. um, you had 100 gig QSFP28 transceivers for gray optics. Hmm. Uh, and you could fit maybe four of these, 400 gig on a line card. Yeah. On the other hand, when you got to coherent technology for longer distances, you had to go with SF CFP, which yeah. is a much larger um, yeah, It's like about two inches wide and it's about a four inch long module. And it's got heat sink veins and everything coming off the top. Exactly. So you had to have a, a different line card, and this mm. really compromised the capacity of the router. And that was one of the major reasons why these IP, early IP over DWDM attempts were not successful. Today, you can fit coherent technology and client transceivers on the same line card. 
Yeah, right. and, and that's uh, you, so you can mix and match these optics, and 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 you don't have to worry about maximizing platform density, uh, or versus doing converged IP over optical. You can do it all on the same line card, and any of our four hundred gig capable line cards are capable of supporting this capability. <laughs> so I just buy a line card with four hundred gig ports if I want to put them in to go down to the you know just to light up a standard you know, LR single mode fiber connection to the neighboring switch or whatever, that's fine. Or I can drop a, a 400 gig um, coherent optical module in and off it goes to the DWDM. That's a massive saving in space and power. Exactly. And it provides mm. the flexibility to not think about your uh, network planning, right? Yes. As the need arise, you can plug in the right transceiver into the same slot. And going back to your question about um, heat dissipation, just to put numbers uh, into, into it, typical 400 gig uh, LR transceiver can be 12 to 14 watt of power consumption. We are talking about 400 gig ZR, it can be 16 to maybe 20 watt of power. So first it's relatively close, but mm. still it's, slightly higher and there are um, advancement in the ability to provide power uh, to, to these transceiver and to cool them in, in the systems. And maybe later we'll get to, the, to talk about system design and how you make this uh, integration of these high power transceivers into the router in a more efficient way. All right. So this really is a, a rather extraordinary change. You can have a router at the edge of your network that's just, you know, a Juniper router of your favorite flavor and type uh, and have a line cut in there that could be any type of 400 gig, even potentially, you know, whatever it is that you need. And then suddenly you can say, I can bring a DWDM cable straight into that. So now my WAN, WAN provider, my telco, my service provider, my metro connections come straight into my router. I no longer have to bring in a shelf. I no longer have to bring anything else. Now that is a really significant change. So that SFP, that module, that coherent module must have some really interesting things inside it because um, to be able to do all that, to be able to create a coherent optical signal means that you actually need to have not only lasers that can send the signal, you must have signal transceivers that can receive it. And that brings me into a bunch of what are the technology advances that are going on under the hood here? The main advancement is uh, integration of a DSP mm. into the transceiver. And this DSP, um, in a typical transceiver, you are really mod mod modulating the amplitude. So right. the, the main thing that you need in a typical transceiver is um, to retime the signal, to mm. clean the timing of the signal when you go from the PCB on the host uh, into toward the laser uh, mm. in the transceiver. So it's Here, conceptually like a sine wave. And as you reach the peak of the sine wave, that's the signal transition point. You've got to have you able to do that. And then at the other end, you sense the peak. And then you say, right, that's a one, that's a zero. That's a very gross simplification, but is that enough? So this what happens in a typical uh, gray or client transceiver. In yeah. a coherent transceiver, the difference is that we have a DSP and the DSP takes the signal that is coming from the host and mm -hmm. modulate it not on the amplitude, 
but on the phase of the optical signal. And I'm really he, looking he, forward to you explaining phase modulation verbally without a diagram. Go on, go on, because it's hard, right? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, hard. it's it's very hard. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, but but fundamentally, it's a different way of tr- transporting the signal over mm. the laser, right? Over the optical mm. signal, mm. and it requires a, a DSP. There are different impairments when this signal goes over the medium, right, the fiber. Mm, And we are talking here about long distances, right? For example, chromatic dispersion. Uh, You need the ability in the DSP to compensate for chromatic dispersion in the fiber that can accumulate over hundreds and, as we said, maybe a couple of thousands of kilometers. So there are a lot of uh, electronic circuitry in that DSP in order to compensate for all these impairments in a long reach transmission fiber. Yeah. Now I'm going to, I want to just press on this a little bit because if I'm an enterprise customer who's expecting a Selco to deliver this to me, I'd like to just explain this. Now, chromatic dispersion is because you send the, and tell me if I'm wrong here, but I'll have a go. Chromatic dispersion is because we send the, the laser signal over a narrow band of 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 signal spectrum that over those distance the actual propagation of the laser at frequency a and the other end of the frequency b it actually separates out a little bit right or where and that's further compromised by where it reflects internally off the off the inside of the fiber and different frequencies have different um dispersions when they reflect at the boundary. And so what you get at the other end is you think you're getting a signal and at the sort of clock rates that we're talking about here and the signal power that we're receiving at the other end, because it's so faint, it's like, you know, detecting, (laughs) it's like looking at stars through a telescope kind of thing. It's so faint that decoding the signal at the other end is a real problem. So any sort of dispersion or modification of the signal as it propagates down the path means that you lose coherence. Exactly. And you know, we think about a laser always as a single wavelength, mm. but in reality, it's a distribution. Even though it's a it's a tight distribution, it's still there are different wavelengths within that laser transmission. And this mm. is really, as you said, what the chromatic dispersion uh, mm. do, right? the The speed of propagation over the fiber of the of one wavelength in that from that laser is slightly different from another wavelength. And this creates, uh, cause the wavelength or the, the, the signal mm. to, um, to broaden. Yeah. Um, because it's to stretch. Yeah, it actually causes- Exactly, to stretch. But part of the then, signal will stretch more than the other part. And so right. the, the, the signal waveform becomes distorted or deformed and then decoding it at the other end. Now, And then it goes into, uh, uh, you have the noise, right? And then yeah. uh, it, uh, the power of that, uh, because of the stretching, the mm. relative power goes down of the signal and the noise becomes more uh, prominent. And yeah, this is where you get reflections off cable joins and amplifiers as they modify and re reboost the signal, you know, uh, your Ramans or your Edfire amplifiers, they all become significant over time. Exactly. And what uh, the CD compensation 
does on the other side, right? The DSP on the receiver side is compensate for that stretching of the signal. It essentially, you can say, compresses the signal back so it can be identified uh, against and the, the noise. data can be decoded and then fed up into the router right other end. Now, that is a very complicated thing. And that, but this has been a known problem for 20 or 30 years. We're seeing a lot of growth in 400 gigs. So is this leading some sort of change in the industry to make this possible? Because the success of other uh, technologies has been standardization. That is, you know, there's always been proprietary solutions for DWDM. Each of the DWDM providers has said, no, my DWDM transceiver is proprietary to me. Does this imply that there's now some sort of standards in these transceivers? Exactly. And that's the second major shift that happened in the last few years since 2016, where this standardization effort started at the OIF. Hmm. Today, this 400 gig ZR or ZR plus, they are standard. And this really gives operators more confidence that they Hmm. can, they are not locked to a single supplier. Well, more importantly, it means a Juniper um, optical, coherent optical module can work with a Sienna module. Right. You don't actually need to have, you know, Sienna's modules being inserted in the Juniper router, which was tried for a while and failed miserably, if I remember right. Exactly. Any uh, transceiver of the market today that conform to 400 gig ZR OIF standard or to the Open ZR Plus MSA uh, can yeah. interoperate. I think it's important to note, though, that there are some advantages uh, to having our transceivers with our routers. Um, you know, when it comes to support, um, some transceivers from third parties, um, they don't necessarily uh, conform to, you know, fully conform with the standards. And we can only test and integrate, uh, you know, a, a, a preferred number of, uh, of transceivers when we do testing and integration and, and, and make sure that they integrate with our platform. So you have JTAC support so that you're not uh, having to work through a number of third parties to determine where you, where you have an issue. And some coherent optics, um, they can actually um, cause damage to router line cards if they're not uh, appropriately uh, configured or if they have um, you know, power issues. So I think what you're trying to, what you're hinting at there, Dwayne, is that there's a qualitative difference between different brands of optics. There are optics on the market where you can just go and buy them you know, at low prices and they're nominally a 400 gig coherent optic. But you're saying that they're in the real world, um, there is an experience here where those optics may not work at, in the way that you expect. And in some cases may even damage the line card that you're socketing them home to, or they may not work as expected. Now, keep in mind here that these these optical modules actually have a DSP on board. They actually run software and they have to report various APIs and they have to talk back to the router. So to my mind, that's actually logical in this instance. Right, absolutely. And, and I think it's an important to note, you know, our strategy when it comes to handling coherent optics transceivers uh, and, and, you know, a dual prong strategy where we're co-developing with uh, various subcomponent vendors. I think Moran can drill down on a little bit further, as well mm-hmm. as we're also branding third party optics as well to go into the into our routers. So at the end of the day, we want to make sure that 
the transceivers perform as expected by the customers and that they have, uh, you know, one one place to shop uh, and one place to get their service and support. And that we know that it's truly integrated, it's tested, uh, it mm-hmm. will work as advertised uh, within the platforms and work well as you know neighbors with the other transceivers and optics that are on, on the line cards. Now, Dwayne, are you saying there that you, you said Juniper branded third-party optics or something to that effect, which kind of threw me for a loop? What, are you saying I can buy a third-party optic that might not say Juniper on it, or you're working with a third-party and then putting a Juniper label on that optic? Yeah, per- perhaps, Moran, you can explain in more detail. But but in, in essence, we have a two-pronged strategy. We uh, are co-developing uh, with with partners, uh, subcomponent vendors on our own tra- coherent transceivers. Um, we are also um, working with third-party coherent optics vendors um, to um, brand and test and integrate their products within our routers as well. So we have a kind of a two-pronged strategy um, so that customers have options. Now, now that makes sense to me because. Um, some companies, some networking vendors have gone out and actually bought silicon photonics companies who then make uh, these modules for them and supply them directly. Now, that sounds one way to go, uh, but spending several billion dollars buying a, a manufacturing company is may not necessarily be the smart way to go forward. And if you can get these modules standardized and working together in such a way that it's it's viable. So in the preparation here, we talked about how Juniper has been part of the standards contributions and how you've been doing interoperability testing and how you've been working with other parties so that you can bring together the components to make these opt- optical co- modules in a viable way. Exactly. So our strategy is to partner with the leading building block suppliers. The, we talked about the DSP, the laser, mm. the optical sub-assemblies. Mm. And uh, we have a partner that is integrating these components into the transceiver with us. Right. This approach enables us to get the best of both worlds. It gives us the best of breed innovation with the mm. components. It guarantees interoperability because we are working in the open ecosystems. And it guarantees supply chain diversity because we have um, multiple suppliers for these components. And on the other hand, it enabled the support uh, to support advanced features and better cost structure similar to vertical integration. I think that's important. So what I sort of hear saying here is what we talked a bit about white box ASICs in the old days where you know vendors were making their own custom switching ASICs and routing ASICs. And today we see them trending more towards a mix of commodity ASICs and sometimes combined with your own in-house ASICs to, to, in, to take the performance even higher or in a direction that's not necessarily worthwhile for commodity. So what I hear you saying, or what I think I hear you saying, is that these coherent optical modules that Juniper's putting together are actually made out of commodity components in a sense, like they're available from a number of highly specialized suppliers, like lasers that can send a signal at 100 kilometers at 400 gig are not exactly off the shelf parts. But what you're saying is that they are almost commodity and you can work with a particular partner to assemble them to your specification. Am I reading that right? That's correct. Uh, Mm -hmm. There are not many suppliers of this high end uh, optical sub-assemblies, but mm. there are enough and we are partnering with the leading suppliers in this area. Right. And there's a whole bunch of interfaces and today is actually the launch date for this. It's called Cora, which is 
uh, Juniper's announcement around going coherent on these opticals. And there's a bunch of stuff in the show notes, white papers and so forth. But let me give you a sense here. There's multiple optical open source standards. There's the OIF, which is the optical interface forum, 400ZR, the OpenZR Plus. There's multiple sourcing agreements, which is a longstanding arrangement for how you assemble these opticals, uh, modules from components. QSFPDD MSA. Can you explain that one to me? And then also the other one I want to hear about is the common management interface specifications. Yeah, so uh, the OIF is an uh, organization that defines the started definition of this 400 gig ZR interface uh, in 2016. Mm. Uh, it's uh, companies coming together in, in that it was driven mainly by hyperscalers uh, with the support of uh, Juniper and Acacia mm -hmm. uh, and defined and a first time a QSFPDD small form factor interoperable um, interface, coherent interface. Mm -hmm. and since then, um, the industry uh, figured out, and the the OIF uh, definition really focused on the hyperscaler use case, which mm -hmm. is data center interconnect. The it was a very a pointed solution to high capacity interconnect between data centers over distances of up to 120 kilometers. Um, the, the industry and especially service providers understood that this technology has a huge advantage in terms of reducing their network TCO yeah. by eliminating transponders first and foremost. Yeah, I think it, it, what you're saying to me is that the hyperscalers went and said, we want 400 uh, gigabits of coherent optical bandwidth. And they looked at all the suppliers out there and they said, that's not the way. We, we don't want these proprietary one supplier. We need to know that the, the we don't just want to buy the QSFP module from a single supplier. We want to be able to have components from multiple parties. So there's an ecosystem going on. And so that's what's happened. Juniper has been part of that process of creating an ecosystem of vendors, making the lasers, making the DSPs, making the software and defining things like common management interface specifications. Can you tell me, I think the common management interface specifications is a key thing to talk about. Could you explain that in detail? Yeah, this is another um, definition that is happening at the OIF. Uh, this is really the host interface, right? You, mm. you want these transceivers to be um, standard and integrate into different hosts in a seamless way. Mm. And this is where the SIMIs or um, management interface come into play. And, and really it's an extension of the register-based interface between the host and the transceiver. Mm. Just for coherent technology, there are so many more uh, parameters that you can yeah. control and monitor, yeah. especially performance monitoring. Um, yeah, that you want to monitor things like power levels and signal synchronization and how much power is the module using, how much power do you, and you want to be able to dynamically set a lot of the variables in, in the optical module. Right. And this standardization also lead to standardization of the upstream interfaces we are talking about open apis that expose these coherent parameters we talked mm. about power we talked about uh, chromatic dispersion 
all these parameters, you know, when we talk about optics, we are talking about OSNR, right? Mm -hmm. Optical signal to noise ratio. All these parameters are uh, exposed to the router through CMEs, through the host interface, and then mm -hmm. exposing them with open config uh, APIs, NetConfiang models, uh, to higher layers for uh, ease of management. Right. So effectively, it's CMIS is the API from the router and the operating system on the router to talk to it, um, to exchange data from the optical module backwards and forwards. And it's standardized across all of these modules to some extent. Right. No doubt it's an evolutionary process. It's like 5G standards. There's nominally a standard, but actually there's about 20 of them going on inside there at once. So that's the sort of the idea? Yeah, there are. There is a standard, but the implementation of the standard is slightly different uh, by mm. each uh, supplier. Mm. We, uh, as Dwayne mentioned, right, we are working with multiple suppliers um, and we see differences. It requires some adaptation in the host to manage different types of transceivers, but this is part of the work that we are doing in order to enable efficient integration of these transceivers in mm -hmm. our routers and switches. Okay, I want to switch the switch the conversation up here a little bit, Dwayne, and I talked a little bit about CRA, which is Juniper's Converged Optical Routing Architecture. Now, what are some of the benefits that this is going to bring to customers? We touched on before and I said I would come back to it, this idea of redundant bandwidth or excess bandwidth. And DWDM tried to do it one way. And now in IP over DWDM, we can do it a better way. So let explain Cora to us. Well, so Cora um, really has three main components. Certainly the coherent optics we've been talking about for the, the majority of this discussion. So we have 400 gig uh, coherent optics, uh, ZR, ZR plus. Uh, zero DBM is being released uh, and being, being sold today as well. Uh, mm. Those are resident on our 400 gig capable routers and switches. So uh, whether that's in the Metro with the ACX for access and ag, uh, for edge with our MX portfolio, the PTX in the core, or even QFX, which is a switch that we use in our data centers, um, all of those 400 gig capable line cards can again mix and match and use those coherent optics that we're delivering. And when we talk about automation, we have a Paragon automation suite. We're not pretending to be an optical line system management, uh -huh. um, but that, that, that uh, demarcation between the transceiver and our routers, now we have multi-layer visibility into uh, the DWDM implementation. Um, and what that gives us is we have like an extensible architecture. So we're complying with the 400 gig standards uh, and we will comply and, and support 800 gig, 100 gig optimized solutions as well in future. Um, the extensive set of use cases that are supported for, 100, for 400 gig, um, mm. I think we talked about briefly earlier. Um, we certainly have sustainable systems. So we have the high density systems for longevity, you know, within, uh, within customers' networks. So it's silicon systems, our optics really provide leadership with the reduced power and space consumption requirements. And then of course, we just talked about intelligent automation, you know, standards client yeah. APIs and, and a full lifecycle support of uh, you know, multi-layer visibility for these. Uh, so this really does just go into just about any existing piece of Juniper equipment, right? ACX, MX, PTX, QFX is pretty 
broad spectrum across the board. Yeah, correct. Across the portfolio. Right. And one of the interesting things here is if you're an enterprise customer listening to this and you're thinking, wow, I could get 120 kilometers data center interconnect without having, you know, I could probably get dark fiber for that without a repeater and be okay. I could do that straight out of a QFX switch. I don't need to go and buy some mystical DWDM um, edge gear. I can come straight out of my my data center, a sta- almost a standard data center switch. Perhaps it, it depends on you know routing protocols and what you what what position you're putting that in. Um, we see accounts now um, moving towards um, you know uh, AI clusters, for instance, that use the PTX you know as a super cluster um, a spine, and yeah. and that's where they do all their interconnect. So it really depends on the architecture, but you're absolutely right. Hmm. That really that really changes the way I think about engaging an optical. I wonder if the optical networking providers are ready for enterprise customers to be asking to connect directly to the optical backbone. But I guess that's part of the initiative here with what you're saying with the Cora, which is the um, converged optical routing architecture, is that this is the way forward. Optical companies, you're going to have to start doing this. So Moran, how do we turn this into application? So when we're looking at using converged optical routed capabilities like this, how does this change the way that we um, build out service networks? So there are different applications for this uh, converged routing, optical routing architecture. I'll give you examples of a few of our uh, customers. Um, so, uh, many customers that start this journey into IP over WDM with simply de- deploying these coherent transceivers over dark fiber, just for router interconnect at high capacity. The the benefits is really um, getting 400 gig of capacity over 40 kilometers uh, with 400 gig ZR and even higher distances with uh, open ZR plus. Uh, The next uh, application that we see, we talked about hyperscalers, for example, but there are many companies um, that are doing similar things. Mm-hmm. High capacity data center interconnect. It can be data center or it can be colos interconnect, right? You can get very high capacity connectivity between these locations of up to 120 kilometers. And then the third use case, and maybe the most interesting for service providers, is I'll give you an example of a customer in Europe that started using this technology in their metro network right uh, over the existing line system that they already had uh, they wanted a capacity upgrade from 100 gig to 400 gig they did a field trial that showed that they can just adopt this 400 gig technology as brownfield upgrade over their existing line system without changing anything so and- literally just unplugging the existing DCI solution and then plugging the the coherent optical module into a Juniper uh, you know router or switch and then boom over the same cable away it goes it's even more than that because they right. can do a brownfield upgrade just adding capacity to the existing network mm-hmm. uh, connecting these 400 gig ZR plus uh, interfaces directly into the same rodems and the same muxes that they have today, uh, 
Yeah. And yeah. and get much better capacity, right? Go, going from 100 yeah. gig transponders today to 400 gig and at the same time saving a lot of money and reducing power yeah. consumption and bandwidth solves all problems i've said this over and over and over right, <laughs> right. If, and on a data center interconnect more bandwidth is just more it just solves all the problems backups synchronization everything just becomes simpler so if you can clock off if you can up the speed from 100 gigs to 400 gigs just almost from what you're saying is replacing the 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 optical module then that's a that's a huge benefit for you know so much more bandwidth and one thing that we didn't talk about is carbon yeah. footprint, right? Eliminating these transponders, dedicated transponder shelves, reducing mm. the power consumption of the network, significantly reduce the carbon footprint. And this is a significant advantage for operators that many of them has pledges to reduce their carbon footprint uh, over time. Now, I want to come back to the Metro WAN aggregation use case that you put there, which was where I could imagine that if you've got a, a pop, like if you're a colo provider and a mega, a mega cloud, you might be in the same town, but you might be separated by, you know, 50 kilometers or a hundred kilometers. And if you actually want an IXP to connect to, you know, the, the colo, you could start to use this instead of buying your own, you know, DWDM ring and lighting up lambdas and all this sort of stuff. This is a much, is that the sort of application we're talking about? Exactly. Uh, mm. There today, if you uh, want to interconnect colos over long distances, uh, you have two options. One is uh, if you have your own infrastructure and your own fibers, you can use dedicated transponders. If mm. you don't, then typically you will you will lease these capacity. Right? You'll buy leased mm. lines from someone else, from an operator that has that. Uh, a, connectivity between the between these yeah. sites yeah. and like, now you can just integrate it into your routers and and do it by yourself uh, either reducing significant capex by eliminating mm -hmm. the transponders or eliminating significant opex by stopping paying for these lease lines yeah and also because the way that ip routes around the available bandwidth so in the case of dwdm you have to have two transponders and then you've got two sets of uh, coherent connections from end to end. And if one fails, you fail over to the next path, right? So that means that for every 400 gigs you create, you have to have 400 gigs sitting waiting to go. But if you're starting to use IP, you can route between the failures. So you would create two coherent links and then say, I will load balance across them at the IP layer. This is not something that's possible in DWDM. Exactly. And we need to, in order to understand this better, maybe we need to uh, look how networks are operated today, right? Mm. You have the optical network and the IP network. And typically today, operators have different teams that mm. are uh, operating these two, uh, I would call it siloed networks. Uh, and if you need protection between two sites, Typically, the optical team will just give you a diverse path for a new wavelength. So really, you are dedicated 50% of capacity to protection. When you are mm. collapsing these layers, uh, you can move the protection to the IP layer. Doing the protection at the service layer mm -hmm. is much more granular and much more efficient in bandwidth usage. 
I think that's really significant because when you come back to that first example you gave of a research network that was using it for DCI, you create like a uh, various types of DCIs. One way is to, if you've got two data centers, you create a lot of bandwidth between them. But if you've got four data centers, you might have sort of a, a ring type of thing. You might actually end up with, if you were using optical, like a one ring going one way and one ring going, and there's half of your bandwidth is just unused. But in the case of of this, you can just get down to the whole CRA, the whole core architecture just simplifies it dramatically. And the more bandwidth you have, the more bandwidth you have. It just solves all of the problems that you're having, I think. Now, one question I just want to quickly ask is we're at 400 gigs today. A lot of customers are at 100 gig and a lot of customers will want to be going to 800 gig or want to know that there's a roadmap. Are we supporting backwards and are we going forwards as well? Absolutely. Uh, we are now working on the 800 gig generation. Uh, mm -hmm. This provides higher capacity and lower cost per bit and lower power per bit mm -hmm. by moving from 400 gig to 800 gig. But in addition to that, 800 gig technology provide a new use case because you can get 800 gig capacity at 16 quant modulation uh, for data center interconnect for let's say 100 kilometers roughly. But if yeah, you yeah. move to QPSK modulation and run this 800 gig technology at 400 gig capacity, then you can extend the reach to 2,000 uh, kilometers, roughly. This really extends the applicability of this te transceiver technology from mm. data center interconnect and metro to long-haul networks. That's quite, uh, like 2,000 kilometers, you said, if you move to QPSK phase shift king. Amplified. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, amplified. Yes, but still without a trend, without a DWDM shelf in the middle of it. Exactly. It's right. We over a rodem network with inline amplifiers. You can achieve uh, by running this eight hundred gig technology at four hundred gig capacity. There is a yeah. trade-off between reach and uh, capacity that you can take advantage of. And what about a hundred gig? Because I think there might be some demand from telcos where they don't need 400 or 800, but they need more than 10 or 40. There's still a lot of legacy out there, but they need an upgrade path from that. Could this idea of coherent opticals with multiple supply arrangements be viable down there? Absolutely. We see a lot of interest in 100 gig coherent technology. Today, there are some suppliers that take the 400 gig ZR plus transceiver and configure it to run at 100 gig rate. Uh, this is not really optimized because you are using a QSFPDD form factor mm -hmm. and you are consuming 14 or 15 watt. Uh, with new advancement in DSP technologies and developing a new DSP dedicated for that application, we see emerging 100 gig um, transceivers that can fit into a QSFP28 standard 100 gig transceiver and mm -hmm. consuming five or six watt of power consumption. Right. We believe that this advancement will uh, create a lot of uh, interest uh, in, for example, 5G. Uh, yeah, I was just thinking 5G pops where you've got a mobile tower and you might. 10 gigs isn't enough, but you want 10 and 100 gigs would be perfect, right? But 
you've got to get it the signal far enough and hard enough to be able to make that viable. So that would be in that thr- in that sort of vein. This is absolutely one of the main use cases we see for this technology: mm. aggregation of uh, cell site uh, gate- gateways yes. uh, in the five G mobile network. And they would often have Juniper hardware in them anyway, as part of the RAN. We've done a number of podcasts with you about the RAN and how Juniper is participating in that area. So it does; it's complementary to what you're already doing. So as we're getting closer to the end of the show, I just want to ask one question because everybody's about visibility and telemetry these days. And Juniper has been a bit of a, one of the first um, vendors to get on board with that sort of thing. Um, Specifically, I'm thinking about Juniper's Paragon, which we've done uh, more than one show on over the last thing. Is this, this, this feels like it's the sort of technology that snaps into Paragon to give you visibility into what the whole end-to-end thing's doing. Is that, is that correct? Absolutely. Paragon provides multi-layer visibility for the IP and optical layer. So it plays very well into this integration of the transceiver within the router. I'll give you an example. As part of the device uh, onboarding use case in Paragon, uh, the technician scans the barcode on the device and automatically gets the onboarding intent that was pre-configured into Paragon by the network planner. As part of this onboarding flow, the technician gets clear indication in what ports to install each transceiver, and Paragon checks for er errors uh, and monitor the health of the optical uh, transceiver. Paragon Mm. even checks the fiber connectivity between the devices. So once the onboarding workflow is completed, the technicians know that the device is set up per the intent, all optical right. modules. So, so are- they're actually quite intelligent. What you're saying is not only can you watch launch power, receive power, uh, but you can actually do in-band testing, so pulsing between the two ends, and you can also ask the DSP on board how it's going. And that, like, is, is that the idea? Yes. And... Uh, One of the advanced features that we provide in our transceivers is um, the separation of the host interface from the line interface. And this is really um, plays into the current mode of how networks are operated, right? You have the optical team that is responsible for the optical yeah, end yeah. to end, and you have the IP team responsible for the MPLS and IP interface uh, connectivity. Well, the optical team is responsible for their end to end, and the IP is responsible for their end to end, and the two aren't the same. Exactly, and <laughs> providing this separation give each team the, uh, control over their own domain. Hmm. So the optical team can. M- uh, oh, I see what you're saying. Up. The optical team can actually see the transceiver as part of the optical network, but the IP people can see the transceiver in as part of their network, and it doesn't cause – it's possible. Right. And the mm. optical team can bring up the optical link end-to-end between the transceivers, mm. test that all the optical parameters are according to – uh, their specification and their network mm-hmm. planning, and then turn it over to the IP team to provide the end-to-end service connectivity. Ah, right. So they don't that. do it. They don't do it simultaneously, but you can. There is a way to cooperate with the with the optical team. Exactly. 
Right. That makes sense because the optical team still needs to work with the endpoint to be able to say, and they also need to tune the endpoint because they need to say, send the signal at this strength or, you know, is this, is this line working at what power level is it at? What power am I transmitting? What power level am I seeing? Whereas the IP people are quite often like, oh, packets sent, packets being received. Good. I'm done. It's a, it's a completely different world. Yes. And Sometimes when we think about this integration, uh, people have this notion that um, one of these teams will lose out <laughs> because now it's, yeah. it's one. Yeah. But really, it's not because it's yeah. such a different domain of expertise between yeah, dealing yeah. with MPLS, LSPs and dealing with OSNR that you still need the two teams. Maybe yeah. you need them to cooperate and coordinate better. But yeah, but this is where tools like Paragon Automation comes in because it can actually stitch together a lot of this. You, well, that you know, you can get more visibility into what's actually happening in the optical side, so that you know when to talk to the optical people and to give them information that they can use. Because Paragon's going to get the telemetry; it's going to have visibility into the optical side. Exactly, and it it can provide uh, root cause analysis to exactly yeah. which uh, where is the problem. Okay, well, unfortunately, that's all we've got time for today. Uh, so today there's the actual launch date as we're recording this, which is the 15th of June of the Converged Optical Routing Architecture by Juniper. And you can find a whole lot of information over on the Juniper website. And of course, though, those links will be in the show notes uh, on the Packet Pushes website that goes with this show today. Thanks very much to Juniper for sponsoring today's show. I want to point you quickly towards their white paper, Reimagining IP over DWDM with Juniper Cora. It actually has quite a bit of detail and potentially does a better job than I did today on the show because it's probably doing it a lot more coherently get the joke <laughs> get the joke <laughs> well as always you can find this and many more fine free technical podcasts along with our community blog at packetpushes.net thanks so much to juniper for sponsoring us because they are here to help to work with us we're able to bring you this content for free you can find uh, packet pushes all over social media according to your favorite form twitter linkedin spotify wherever you like we're always there and last but never ever least remember that too much networking would never be enough